I hope I still remember how to do this. Before I get started, just a couple things. Michael has already uh, done a great job of letting you know what's happening. Next week we do go to two services. I did make a mistake when I ordered some things and when we sent out some things on the last newsletter and I put 10.30 down. I don't know if that was like a Freudian thing, like I wanted it at 10.30, but anyway... So uh, our services will be 8.30 and 10 starting next week. The 8.30 service will be a little bit more abbreviated service than the, the normal 10.30. So I just want to warn you of that. We won't have full children's. Am I doing it again? at the 10. Oh, my goodness. It's 10. No matter what I say, it's 10, okay? <laughs> if I say 10.30, I'm wrong, okay? Uh, but anyway, so that uh, starts next week. Oh, the early service will not have uh, um, children's classes. It will only have a nursery up to three years of age, okay? You got it? Uh, okay, six of you got it. Okay, I need like 30 of you to get it. Have you got it? Okay, good deal. One more thing I need you to get. John and the crew are set up at 4.30 next Saturday, and then they're tearing down next Sunday after that service, which we start at 10, and it gets over at 4, 4 or 5 in the afternoon. And so we, we need people to, just kidding, after that service. So we need help with that. So can you help? Hmm. That was not encouraging at all. Looks like I'm working. Michael, we're working really hard next Saturday. So, All right, so if you could help us out, that would be great, okay? So today we get to talk about the bad guys, and I'm really glad this sermon hit before we go to two services. Before next week, you invite all your friends to Back to Church Sunday and remind them, hey, get, let's get back in the church habit, right? You right? Yeah. Okay, good deal. Good. I can't do this alone. You've got to help me out. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I need things, and so I need your help. So today we're talking about the bad guys in this supernatural scenario. Michael introduced two kingdoms that are at play last week. And this is a subject matter that I really understand how out there on the fringe I am when I teach on it, okay? I, I get that I'm coming from a place that people don't even want to talk about, okay? But today we've got to realize some things. And when we get to the end of this, I think you're going to be really encouraged, but there's a whole lot of realities we've got to wrap our head around in the process. Can we do that? Can we do that together? Because we do have a real enemy, guys. He really does want to destroy us, destroy the works of the Father, to ruin the world. He wants to ruin every life that you know about. And we need to accept that reality, enter into that reality, even if we get ridiculed about it sometimes. Now, you heard the way I prayed as we started this service, okay? That was a, a spiritual warfare type of prayer, focused from that place. It's a prayer that, that we pray depending on the situation that we're in, or those kinds of prayers, I rather should say. It's one that we should pray more. And by the way, when we talk about prayer, I know that that's an uncomfortable subject for a lot of people, but we have to get better at prayer. Because, because we're not good at praying is why we're getting our butts kicked in this world. That's right. Okay? Does that make sense? Like he said, butts in church. I'm sorry, I meant it. Anyway, so, so we're talking about darkness. We're talking about a kingdom. It's a reality, and we need to think about it. And so my, my mission is today is just to awaken you to what's going on, to help you see that there's a lot more happening. What you're going to see as we dig into some scriptures, and we're going to look at a lot of them today, you're going to see that there's a natural reality, and there's a supernatural reality. There are two things going on. And multiple things going on. So I want you to understand that this natural reality has a supernatural reality behind it. Pulling the strings on it. Maybe empowering it. And it's going on all the time and in every situation. Okay? Does that make sense? So there's a natural and a supernatural. Okay? So let's jump into Mark 2 real quick. Mark chapter 5 real quick. Because Jesus dealt with this. 
And so, well, let me read it, and then we'll talk about it, okay? When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. I'm going to jump to verse 6. When Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, ran to meet him, and bowed low before him. Now look what happens. With a shriek, he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In the name of God, here's a demon praying in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus is, this demon sees Jesus as torturing him, okay? How big is your Lord and Savior? I just want to throw that out there. How big is he, okay? All right. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Jesus apparently just said, come out of him, you evil spirit. And the demon's like, this is torture. I can't handle it. And you're like, demons sound wimpy. We'll get to that. There are at least 11 times in the gospel that Jesus dealt with or encountered a demon, someone possessed by a demon, so forth, at least 11, and there are probably more. Now, Jesus' ministry was three and a half years long, and he had 11 encounters with these supernatural entities, 11 encounters. How many have you had in the last 10 years? The answer, I'll give it to you, is more than you know. More than you know. You with me? Can you own that for a minute? Like you're sitting going, I don't know if we're dealing with supernatural entities. Well, just hang on, because I'm going to show you a world you may not have thought about that hopefully will open your eyes to it. This, this world that has God, the Holy Spirit, that we talk about a lot. It has angels, we'll talk about next week. And it has these creatures, these demonic beings, these principalities, these powers, these influences in our world. Here's the thing. Here's what I think I'm dealing with. I think some of you out there live in fear of this world. Some of you are like, I just, I don't want the devil to bug me. If I ignore him, maybe he'll leave me alone. I co- My dad called me this morning and to check up on me, and, and I check up on him. And he said, uh, son, uh, are you preaching today? I said, yes, yes, I'm going to be sharing today, dad. And he said, what are you speaking on? I said, I'm going to tell him about the devil. And he said, oh, you're going to have a rough week. I said, <laughs> I, said uh, I said, Dad, don't worry about it. The, the devil's scared of me. <laughs> but anyway, I'll tell you why as we get through this message. But so many people live in fear thinking that if I ignore him, he'll leave me alone. How many of you guys ever dealt with a bully in school? Don't raise your hand, but just nod your head. You ever dealt with a bully? Did you pick the fight with a bully? No. No, you don't pick a fight with a bully. A bully comes after you. The devil is a bully. You're not in this fight because of something you've done. You're in this fight because there's, a, there's an enemy who picked a fight with you. It won't go away if you ignore it, okay? So a lot of you are sitting there and you're afraid of this. You're afraid of this reality. And I get it. I understand. I've been there. I've been at that place in my life where I just, just like hope the devil didn't notice me. But... That is never going to happen, okay? And then there are other guys out there that you are just out there all the time, like, rebuking him. You know, oh, man, I rebuke the, I don't know, the demon of brokenness. I need to rebuke that one in my life, uh, broke, being broke. Uh, anyways, you guys don't know what I'm talking about, apparently. So, okay, good deal. I'm the only one. You guys know how to do it. Teach me. Give me a class later, all right? You know, there's people who, who see demons behind every bush and those kind of things. Now, uh, we'll get into some of the, the mechanics of that in a minute. We know that one-third of the angels that God created fell from heaven. But we don't know how many angels he created. The Bible just says it was an 
incalculable number. So what is one-third of an infinite number? Don't know. We'll come back to that, okay? So yeah, there's a lot of them around. We'll talk about what they are and so forth in a minute. But today when we're done, I'm going to give you, hmm, I hate to say a magic bullet, but just one thing that's going to empower you mightily, okay? So I'm really giving you one thing by the end of this, okay? You with me? You ready to plunge into this? You think you are? No, that's right. <laughs> I'm with that guy. Okay. Acts, I mean, Ephesians 6.12, I'm coming in right after where Steve stopped earlier in just a second. I, we want to get a path out of this conundrum, and I want to remind you of something. Before we even get started, I want to remind you of this. You ready? The devil is actually terrified of you. The day you realize that the guy that lives in you is the guy who could say to a demon, come out, and the demon started whining and crying, saying, stop torturing me, Jesus. <laughs> the day you realize that that guy is what lives in you, and that's the power that's in you, the day you realize that the enemy is toast in your life. You hear me? So the Bible says, Paul continued in verse 12 of Ephesians 6, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Stop, pause. It's not your wife. It's not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not the Republicans. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Libertarians. It's not another country. You're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. See, that's what the devil doesn't know about you. <clears throat> the devil doesn't, the th the, what the devil knows about you is that when this battle, when the dust settles, you're still standing and he's toast and he's scared. You guys here sitting, I bet a lot of you deal with anxiety and fear. I do. And I want to tell you what it is. I learned this last year, and it changed my life. I realized that when I'm dealing with anxiety and fear, I'm actually experiencing the fear of the demons that are around me. It's not my fear. It's theirs. That might help you. Okay, it's good stuff. So, let's look at a lot of scripture today. Where did Satan and demons come from? Okay. I realize that there's a lot of different beliefs when we talk about demons. I realize there are entire TV shows dedicated to them. And, uh, of course, Hollywood gets its theology from amazing places. And um, I'll dig into that more a little bit next week. But where do they come from? And so let's just say it right now. God created them. If it exists, God created it. Okay? He's the creator. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28, 13, which we're going to come right back to in just a second, it is a text directed at Lucifer. It says, they were given to you on the day you were created. God created the angel Lucifer, who later became Satan. The Bible says in Job 28, verses 4 and 7, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God speaking, as the morning stars, which are angelic beings, sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Sometime in the creation story, God created angels, these, these heavenly divine beings, okay? And so they were all created. They were awesome. 
And the most awesome one of all was a dude named Lucifer. He was the crown of the spiritual creations, okay? And he was the lead worship leader in heaven. That was his job in heaven, was to get all the, everybody singing and on time. I don't know if they deal with that in heaven. But anyway, and directed toward the Father. And he was awesome, okay? So anytime you're dealing with the demonic, you've got to understand you're dealing with something that was created awesome, okay? Well, what happened? God created him, and he, and he says of Lucifer, now, I said earlier, there's a natural realm, and behind that natural realm is a supernatural realm that empowers it and fills it. And we have many scriptures in the Word of God that that confuse us because we see a natural world empowered by a supernatural one. And Ezekiel 28 is one of those chapters. Because Ezekiel 28 is a chapter in which Ezekiel the prophet is addressing a prophecy to the king of Tyre. Not, not the Goodyear king, but the king of Tyre, T-Y-R-E. Okay? Now, in that, in that prophecy to the king of Tyre, God takes his prophecy to the king and then goes past the king to the principality who's standing behind him, which in this case is Lucifer himself, who we now know as Satan, the accuser. Okay? So here's what God says to Ezekiel. Listen to this. This is beautiful. This is how awesome Lucifer was. You need to wrap your head around this. You were the model of perfection. That's God talking full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. When God says something's exquisite in beauty, what does that say about the thing, guys? God's saying this. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green rock, moon, white moonstone. I didn't know how to say peridot, so anyway. Blue-green barrel, onyx-green jasper, blue, another rock, lapis lazuli, I want you to understand that when you read the Word of God, it's okay if you don't get the pronunciations right, all right? <laughs> Turquoise and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. Isn't this an awesome picture? I mean, really, it's hard to wrap your head around it. They were given to you on the day you were created. Verse 14, hear this. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God, walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until, and I'll stop right there. This is Lucifer. So when God created him, he was amazing. But there's a twist in the story. There's always a twist in the story. What was perfect? What was good? And guys, at the end of creation, Genesis chapter 1, you have God say, he looked at everything and he said, everything was very good. I take that to mean that on that last day of creation, everything was as it should be. And sometime immediately thereafter is when everything happened that we're about to read. So here's Lucifer. It seems like everyone's happy. He's the most beautiful thing in all of creation, but he's still a creation, okay? He's not Jesus. He's not the Son of God. He is an angel created to be the lead worship leader, the head worship leader in heaven, okay? That's his job. You with me? That makes sense? That may be new information for you, but that's what's, go that's what's going down. So, verse 28, uh, 15, I mean. 
You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence, and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, almighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the gaze of kings. So you see, this is the, this is the corruption. This is, there's a few scriptures that will allude to it. We'll look at Isaiah here that, that show you that Lucifer was one way, and then he really liked the splendor. He liked the worship that was going to Father. And he thought that he would like the worship. And so now the worship leader wanted to be the one who was worshipped. The worship leader became the worship stealer. God saw it. And I don't, I don't think the rebellion was one where Satan had a chance to go out. This is, this is Michael Maynard here. You, you can uh, filter this as needed. I don't think he had a chance to go out and actually gather or support. I think it was evil. God saw it instantly, and he was out. Because that's, uh, that's how God rolls. When you're holy, the presence of sin is manifest quickly. So, Isaiah 14, 12. Oh, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven, and I will set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the Most High. This was the heart of Lucifer as he is becoming Satan. And so you have this corruption, and he's evicted, and we learn a little bit about that in Revelations 12. Then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. That's how it went. You, um, you ever seen a movie? I know you guys have probably never experienced being bounced out of a bar or anything like that because you're good church-going people, but uh, I'm just saying, <clears throat> that's what I see. I see the bouncers come out and just roll these guys right out the throne of heaven. It, it was a war, but it was a really lopsided one, okay? And so God throws him out, and that's how demons came into being. What you need to understand about them, oh, and let me finish up. The great dragon, the ancient serpent, called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. And, and maybe Eve's temptation is where this all happened. I don't know, or right in that series of events. What I want you to understand, though, is they were created perfect, and pride corrupted them. So now the worship leader is the worship stealer. He's twisted now. But his mission is still the same, but his purpose is all wrong. That's why it's corrupted. And I think that's why you're dealing with these demonic forces in your life. For example, a, a demon of suicide, one that might. And why do I call them this? Jesus often called demons by what they did rather than some name. He just called them, you know, a binding spirit or whatever, okay? So it's okay for us to do the same. And so there, there may be a spirit of divorce. He probably started out as a spirit of, of harmony and love. 
And now with the, the fall and the pride, he falls, falls to earth. And now his mission is to do the opposite of that. That's what corruption does. It twists things to the opposite. And so maybe there's a, there was an, an angel who was about praise and affirmation and building folks up. And then he falls to earth. And now he's about creating division and stirring up envy and jealousy and those kind of things. So this is where they came from. They were created perfect and beautiful, but they were twisted by pride. And now they are corrupted and fallen, and they are generally doing the opposite of what they were created to do now. Does that make sense? They're created. So that's where they came from. And, and so I know we could go into a lot of depth. I know you could read extensively on this. By the way, last Sunday's message that Michael gave on the tale of two kingdoms, we included a video uh, by, I think it's Bible.org, that kind of introduces the supernatural realm. And so you can get to that on our website. It's five minutes long, and it will do a great job of explaining these spiritual entities and so forth and where they came from. So that's how they got here. Now, what do they do? Besides annoying you, right? <laughs> so let's look at a few things that they do. First of all, think on the big scale. Uh, this is a Michael Maynard belief. This is not gospel truth. I believe the bigger a thing gets, the more likely the enemy can corrupt the thing. Uh, and, and I've just seen that. that, larger, that the, what happens is, is the larger an entity gets, it's, it's less likely that someone has direct responsibility over the entity. And when there is not direct responsibility, there's not a person to deal with, and now you have an entity that's kind of by itself, you know? And I think the enemy has a way to twist and manipulate that. Which is, just personally, which is why I like the idea of more churches rather than mega churches. I just think that the bigger the thing gets, the more likely the enemy can enter that thing and mess it up. Twisted. Not that he can't enter small things. He certainly can. But at least in small things, you have a more direct line of accountability so that his work becomes apparent more quickly than in the larger things. But that's just Michael Maynard's thoughts on the, the subject of how the enemy works in our world. So, anyway, they do, though, influence governments around the world. You've probably wondered, how can these horrible things happen? I mean, seriously, riots, violence, wars, destruction, genocide. How, how does this happen? I mean, because we all really like to think that humanity is basically good, and even though you know, I, if you've heard me speak much, you know that I disagree with that fundamental analysis of humanity. I don't think we're basically good. I think we need to be redeemed, and, and Jesus takes care of that. But anyway, how, are they really that bad? Are we genocide-level bad, you know? So the Bible says in Hebrews 10, I mean Daniel 10, 13, excuse me, Daniel had asked God about his nation, and he was waiting for an answer. And the story tells us that as soon as Daniel asked, God issued the answer through an angel. Like the second Daniel said, hey, what are you going to do with Israel? It's time for us to be free. And, and God, as soon as he asked, God sends the angel. But Daniel spends the next 21 days waiting for the angel to show up. Even though the angel had been sent immediately. Daniel 10, 13 but for 21 days, this is the angel speaking to Daniel, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. And then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. 
And this is a significant time in Daniel's story. Persia is about to take over that empire. And so there's a lot going on. And we'll find by the end of that, if you were to read Daniel 10, you'd find by the end of it that the angel has to leave pretty quickly too to go back and help Michael out in this fight against this spirit prince who's behind. So in the natural, you have a war developing with Persia. And in the supernatural, you have these entities driving those forces, pulling strings and pushing things, okay? So this is what they do. They influence nations. They create these kinds of problems. They take the, the basic corruption of mankind and they level it up every chance they get. They use mob mentalities, tricks, and lies to, to get us to destroy each other as much as possible. So, yeah, they influence the nations. They also inflict suffering. Your enemy has no mercy. You've got to understand that he has no mercy. He wants to end you and everything that matters to you. There's a story Jesus tell, that we learn of Jesus in Matthew 17. It's, it's a story Jesus had just been on the mountain, man. He had been transfigured before Peter, James, and John, which what that meant was what he was on the inside for a bit became clearly apparent on the outside, and it totally freaked the dudes out, Okay. So that was a presence of God moment. Remember that you also need presence of God moments, although that's outside the scope of this message. He comes down the mountain, and there's a father with a son who has a disease that to modern eyes would look like epilepsy. And this Jesus identifies that the Father even knows that this is demonic in nature, that there is a supernatural force causing a natural reality. By the way, if you get to the end of this message and you don't know that you need to pray more, you're missing what I'm saying. we got to fight more in the supernatural than we do in the natural. So the Father says to Jesus in verse 15, Lord, have mercy on my son. And I want you to listen to what the enemy's doing to this little boy, about seven, five to eight years of age. The enemy to this little boy, he has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. This spiritual entity is trying to kill this kid. He's doing everything he can to harm this child. Can you imagine the heart of that father? The disciple, he brought the son to the disciples, and the disciples didn't have enough of Father's presence to deal with this demon, by the way. They had power and authority over demons. But this one could hang on because they didn't have enough presence within them. You can think about that later. Verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon in the boy, and it left him. And from that moment, the boy was well. I want you to see that there's an enemy that's trying to bring suffering into your life. That disagreement you're having with your spouse that turned into a week-long World War III, not that that ever happened to you. That may have not just been your spouse or you. That may have been an enemy tossing a lie out and stirring your memories. There's more going on here than meets the eye. And the enemy wants nothing more than to end your relationships. He knows how much you need support from those around you. He wants you to lose your job. He wants to harm you before your boss. He wants to create any pain for you that he can. 
He wants to confuse you about the world in which you live. He wants to make you think that right is wrong and wrong is right. And he's got all kinds of amazing lies to trick you into that. And so the enemy's out to make you suffer. I just want you to know he's ruthless and brutal. I'm not trying to create fear. This is an honest discussion. Are you with me? We're just talking about what our enemy's like. We had not talked about what you're like yet. Okay? All right. Demons want to lure you away from God. Oh, this breaks my heart. What I love about what I get to do, living the dream I get to live. Miss Barb, I just realized I didn't turn this on. I'm sorry. Now you'll be able to hear me. I'm sorry you'll be asleep in a second. One of the things that hurts, that, that really breaks my heart, one of the things I love about what I get to do is that I love to see people meet God. I realize I'm just a guy proclaiming the good news of Christ. I'm a finger pointing at the Most High and at Jesus Christ. I get my role in this. I, I'm, there's nothing really that honorable or awesome about me. But when you meet Jesus, he's going to rock your world. When you meet Papa, crawl up in his lap and find out what it is to really be loved, it's going to change you. But I've seen the enemy steal that so many times. I stand at the back door most Sundays, Christy and I. We, uh, we shake them in, shake them up, shake them down, shake them out. That's what we say. <laughs> and I stand at the door, and, and every week someone will go out the door, man, thank you. I met the Lord today. What you said really resonated with me, and, and so forth. And I'm like, oh, and I try and get a name so I can pray because I know what's about to happen. Here's what's about to happen. Jesus told a parable of a sower and the seed. And he said that when a, their seeds fall on different kinds of soil, and sometimes they fall on the road, and sometimes the thorns, and sometimes the rocks, and sometimes the good soil. But a seed that falls on the road, the raven comes, the, the Satan comes, and he steals the seed. And I've seen it more times than I care to ever talk about. People come in, they encounter the presence of God, and they've got this powerful seed that could grow into this mighty, mighty thing, all-consuming thing in their life. And they walk out the door, and then life assaults immediately. Because what happens is Satan now is like, we got to get that seed out of their hands before their hearts are ready to take it, before their soil gets good. And so I see it all the time. Someone comes a week two weeks sometimes a month and then all of a sudden they're gone and they want it like and some of them I'll bump into here and there and I'll say hey we love you I don't like I don't do the guilt thing about coming to church because I hate that myself so I just tell people I love them and I try to encourage them and I pray for them and so I'll meet them out and they're always without fail they want well I'll be there next Sunday I'll come and see you I'll be in church and I'll say no this isn't guilt this is about Papa's love for you and I won't see him because they got to see, but the enemy comes to take it. And I'm telling you right now, every person that's here today, you'll probably hear from God in some way. He's in the house. And when you hear from him, the enemy is going to come and try and take that from you. And you, you don't have to let him. But if you aren't aware that that's what's about to happen, he'll just come and take it and you won't even give him a fight. Why do you think God, all throughout the word, used the word remember so often? Remember. 
And we have such short memories. I mean, you could just fall under the anointing of God today, get wrecked in worship, and by, the morning, by tomorrow morning, you will be totally distracted by everything on your plate, and you will forget that yesterday you were actually in the throne room with Papa. See what I'm saying? He's trying to lure you away. Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the true faith. They'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. All I know to say to that is stay in the Bible. Stay in the Word and listen to the Holy Spirit. Let Him take your lenses out that are bad and give you new ones that are good. So He's trying to do that. I also want to throw this in. The enemy studies you. You're His subject, man. He's watching you. You're, you may be an intellectual and he's throwing all these rational reasons at you for why you should not accept the account of God's word or his Holy Spirit. You may be a, a, a person who's feeling and emotional and more intuitive, and he's going to throw these feelings and opportunities at you that are going to lure you off. He knows you probably better than you know you. So your enemy's real. The enemy wants to lure you away. Excuse me. And... Uh, we may have to pray now because he's trying to mess. Hannah Lucera always tells me, Satan fell out of heaven and straight into technology. And that's the moment we're having right now. So anyway, I lost connection. Hallelujah. Steve, uh, I don't know if you can follow me or not, but um, I don't know. Yeah. Let me see if I can fix this. I just want you to stand with me. I'm trying to, uh, I'm trying to get to First Peter five eight. If you'd get me there. <clears throat> well, I'm about to have to use my timer, Steve. If you can follow me, do the best you can. I'll try and uh, tell you where I'm at. Okay. Uh, it's possible though that I will get excited and lose my way. That's right. This, Satan not only wants to lure you away, but he also wants to paralyze you with fear. So the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I need you to know that the reason the enemy wants to paralyze you with fear is because he's terrified of you. And that's the one thing the church really needs to get in its head and its heart nowadays. Satan, all the principalities of hell, they're all terrified of you. Why? Remember that demon? Jesus, stop torturing me. And who's inside of you? Jesus. Now, that's the truth, okay? You gotta understand, that's the truth. I also I realize that having the truth and knowing the truth and walking in the truth are different things. Okay? And so we do need to walk in the truth. And that is an issue of revelation, which we'll get to in just a minute. But right now, we need to understand that the enemy's fear of you is far greater than your fear of him. You can do him far more damage than he can do to you. Worst thing he can do to you is a follower of Jesus Christ to send you home. Worst thing that can happen. Yeah, he can rob you along the way, but if he were to actually end your life, you're going to wake up in the presence of God. Uh, that is a bad deal okay, for him. Great deal for us, all right? And so he wants to bring fear, and he wants to keep you from ever taking risks. He wants to keep you from ever stepping out in your faith. But having said that, I, I want you to realize that the enemy is real. I don't want to make him small. He, he's got teeth. Uh, stay alert. Watch out. Uh, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 5, 8. 
There, hey, there it is. Whew, he's good. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Okay? He's looking. He smells fear. He smells faithlessness. He, he looks for people who don't believe what God has said about them. Even, even though it's true, they can't walk in it yet. He looks for that, and, and Peter's answer is that stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. This is Peter. This is Peter who Satan desired to sift like wheat. This is Peter who denied the Lord three times. This is Peter saying, you got an enemy? He's roaring, he's scary, he's big, he's looking for someone to devour. Stand up to him. It's just, it's just like walking on water. Everybody can do that, right? The enemy's loud and he comes at you to scare you. And Peter's instruction is, stand firm. Why? Because the Christ that's in you is torment to the devil that's against you. You get that? The Christ that's in you torments the devil that's against you. So you stand up. So how do we do this? How are we going to fight? And so I've only got an hour left, so i got to hurry. i, I got to quit making that joke. I know it, it's old and you're tired of it, but you nervously laugh every time, and it gives me so much pleasure. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to give you three things we don't do, and then the conclusion is, is what we do. Three things we don't do. First of all, we don't treat him lightly, okay? He's not a joke. He's a lion, okay? Yes, you have power over the lion. You have authority over the lion, rather. But Jude 1, 9 through 10. So you, this is why you've got to be careful. This verse has always given me hesitation. Pause. Jude 1, 9. Even Michael, this is the archangel Michael. Uh, he's like one of the baddest dudes in heaven, okay? Even Michael, one of the mightiest of angels did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. Jude creates a lot of discussions in the theological community. Don't worry about that. Verse 10. But these people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, so they bring about their own destruction. So, you don't take the enemy lightly. Seven brothers, the seven sons of Siva, did that in Acts they tried to cast out a demon in Jesus' name, but they didn't actually know Jesus, and it did not turn out well for them, okay? So yeah, the enemy has teeth, but you have authority in Christ. But, okay, the enemy has teeth, but you have authority in Christ, but you need revelation of your authority in Christ, okay? You have way more authority than you're living in right now, Okay? And you will live in more authority as you ask God to give you revelation of that authority in your life. Does that make sense? Okay? You need to know what that is. And, and so we live in a world that's, uh, they, you know, postmodern, I guess. We're probably even past that. But, you know, modern age was the, the thinking age. I think, therefore, I am. And, and now we moved into postmodernism, which was more like I experience, therefore, I am. Kind of, that, you won't find that in a book anywhere, but that's kind of how things roll. And so we come into the kingdom and we begin to realize that we do need to know things, but we need to believe things, but we can't just believe them by accepting them in our intellectual thoughts. They must be revealed to us. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word, the Greek word rhema of God. Rhema 
is the voice of God. You've got to hear from God. It's not the written word, it's the word you hear. So, you have authority, but if you go out and try to act in authority that you don't believe you have, it might create problems for you. However, it's always a however or a but, if you don't go out and start stepping into your authority, you're never going to know you have it, okay? So I'd rather you go out and make some mistakes, get in a little trouble myself, but hey, that's me. <laughs> also, don't flirt with darkness. I think I need to throw this in before I move into the final hook here. Deuteronomy says, don't let your people practice fortune-telling or use sorcery or interpret omens or engage in witchcraft or cast spells or function as mediums or psychics or call forth the spirits of the dead. There is an illegal way to enter the supernatural. Remember I said this. You're going to be tempted to mess with those kinds of things. You can use those things to enter the supernatural. They are real. Okay? They are real. But they're illegal. You're not supposed to be there. There is a right way to walk in the supernatural things of God and a wrong way. The right way is only through Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and life. Amen? The wrong way is anything outside of him. Any kind of meditation that bypasses Jesus to get you in some kind of uh, state is out. It's illegal. Got it? Make sense? So don't, don't mess with this, guys. I'm, I'm not kidding. You will invite things into your life you don't want to deal with. Okay? All right. So we don't, we don't take him lightly. We don't flirt with darkness. And then we don't fight with our power, but with God's authority. Right now, I could walk out of this church in my beautiful flowery shirt. You know you love it. I could go down to Dewar and Gateway, the, the busiest intersection in town, I guess arguably. Pretty busy one. I could walk out in the middle and I could try and stop traffic. And granted, my face might do that. But, try and stop traffic. But I don't, this is Rock Springs. Some redneck in a big truck's going to run me over just because of my hair color, you know. Hey, here's an Indian street. Let's get him, huh? I don't have any authority to go stop traffic. You know what I'm saying? You take me down to City Hall, swear me in as an officer of the city of Rock Springs, put me in a uniform, give me a badge and a, a bullhorn and maybe a gun because we're in Rock Springs. <laughs> put me in the middle of that intersection. All of a sudden now I have the authority to direct traffic. That's the difference between power and authority. Authority is mighty. Because it's backed up by real power. Does that make sense? You have authority. That's what Jesus said in the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me. Now you're sitting there going, well, he gave it to Jesus. That doesn't mean I have it. But me, Jesus, moved into you. So you have all authority in Christ in this situation. What is authority? Is authority power? No, Christ is power. Okay? You have authority, though, to bring that power into this world. So you don't fight this fight in your power. You are not strong enough. And if you walk into any fight, especially in the supernatural, especially with the enemy, with the power like, I can handle this, you can't. You can't. But if you walk in going, Christ can handle this. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, who's been given all authority. He can handle this. The devil, the enemy, whatever it is in your life, is terrified of the Jesus in you. Okay? This is truth. This is exciting. The devil picked a fight with you before you were born. 
He picked a fight with you. And he picked a fight with the wrong person. He messed up the day you met Jesus Christ. He messed up, and he knows it. You don't know it yet, but he knows it. And he's terrified that you're going to hear what I'm saying and start to believe it. Because Jesus said to the disciples in Matthew 10.1, oh, thank you. Man, you are so good at this. Jesus called his 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. I know what you're sitting there saying. Well, we're not seeing a whole lot of that today. And so I just want to gracefully and lovingly say we're not believing for that today. And the day we realize that we have authority in Christ and we can step out is the day that we'll begin to see these things happen again. I know that was troublesome. Truth often is. So, what are you supposed to do? You give me my do not fear slide, Brother Steve. No fear. Here's the easy answer. James. James is five chapters of pure fire. Five chapters of pure conviction as well. It was the earliest book written in the New Testament, by the way. So his theology at this point is really raw and good. But he says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Flee. (laughs) The enemy's trying to wreck your life, and all you have to do is stand, Peter says. James says, resist, and the devil will flee. Why will he flee? Because of the Jesus in you. Torments him torments him. All Jesus had to say was come out. And he was like, oh, you're torturing me. (laughs) How would you like the demons attacking your life to walk away in tears today? How would you like these mighty entities that God created that were awesome and glorious and they have fallen, they are corrupted and they are twisted and they are dirty and they are nasty and they are trying to wreck your life and you simply just stand up in the name of Jesus Christ, claim the authority that's in yours that he gave to you and they cower and they flee and they stop attacking your kids and they stop trying to wreck your marriage, they stop trying to ruin your finances. How would you like to just stand for a few minutes and watch God set your enemy on his heels for a change Woo! come close to God and God will come close to you wash your hands you sinners purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world the simple answer surrender it's always surrender Surrender to your Father and walk in His power. And if you're sitting here today and said, Michael, there are things today that you said that I don't know that I can believe, then you need to ask Father to reveal them to you. Get in the Word. Don't go home and, and, let, and turn on the Netflix and let the enemy stir garbage in your head. Go home and get in the Word of God. Get in prayer. Wait before the Lord and ask Him, Father, what's the truth here? Teach me, Holy Spirit. And open the Word and let the Spirit give breath to the words on those pages. And you will learn the truth. You're never going to learn the truth not seeking the truth. You'll seek me and find me if you seek me with your whole heart, Jeremiah writes. And so begin to seek Him. Because I'm telling you, I'm standing in front of a room full of warriors. 
if you could see yourself as you truly stand in that holiness, in that light that you are because of what Christ has done for you, covered in the blood and covered in his righteousness is every soul in this room. It's a room full of champions, and, and hell is scared to death of you. He knows that when you rise up and realize who you are in Christ and the authority you have, he will have to let the addicts go. He will have to leave this community. He will have to walk away from his temptations and his sins. The alcoholics will be free. Families will be reunited. All because God's people woke up and realized, this is who I am. Let's stand. Worship team. Could you come? Let's bow our heads. We're warriors praying together right now. We're not beggars today. The beggar part of us died on the cross. Today, we're warriors in the kingdom. Today, every enemy in this community knows what's happening here. I promise you that. He just can't do anything to stop it because he's scared. He's scared of Jesus and you and in this room. I don't know how many are here, but every life that trusts Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ standing in this room. Father, we come to you as your children, as your army, your family. The enemy's taken stuff from us, Papa. There are lives in this room that are just shattered and broken because of what the enemy has done in some form or another. But Lord, that could end today. Today, men and women and children could rise up and make that sucker pay. And I ask, Lord, that you raise up Jesus in every life in this room and into the warriors that they are. You banish this thought of of beggar, this thought of slave. We'll talk about that some other day. But Lord, rise up your sons and daughters to destroy the works of Satan here. In Jesus' name I pray.